Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Mike DiGiovanna, longtime LA Times sports writer. Mike was the Angels beat writer for years and years and years. He's been our Angels correspondent for quite a while as well. And Mike handled the uh, Prospect Handbook chapter of the Angels for the second year in a row here. Mike, when you wrote it last year, there was some interesting guys who had just been drafted or, or had yet to really play. And, you know, it was interesting, but it wasn't a great system. Fast forward to this year, you had some really interesting guys to write up who had proven a lot more. Uh, just take us through what you thought maybe the biggest differences between the Angel system at this time last year and to this time this year. I think if, if you were to sum it up in one word, it is athleticism. That was a, a really uh, a huge emphasis of new GM Billy Epler and even newer uh, scouting director Matt Swanson when they when they came aboard, you know the angel system for quite a while, uh, at least for the first uh, five, six, seven years of this decade, any uh, maybe going into the first decade of the century, really focus on more guys who are more big league ready. You know, college drafts, uh, maybe guys with uh, you know more big league ready uh, when they were drafted, but with lower ceilings. And I think you see a huge shift in their philosophy with, with the drafting of guys like Joe Adele, Jordan Adams, really high-end high school athletes with really uh, broad tool sets and uh, higher ceilings. You know, now you don't hit on a, on all these guys, obviously, but I think their philosophy is when you do hit on these guys, you usually hit big. So uh, you know. And yeah, Jeremiah Jackson, the shortstop they drafted to that mix this year. Uh, Griffin Canning, a really physical pitcher. You know, they just have, seem to have some higher ceiling guys uh, in the top ten. Uh, Brandon Marsh, uh, another guy. You know, I think he was maybe the guy you were alluding to earlier. Uh, one of those guys who didn't perform that much in the first year, and and really is emerging now as a pretty good uh, prospect. So. A lot more depth from an athlete standpoint, and I think a lot more optimism, you know, from a farm system standpoint uh, for this club. Yeah, I had seen their affiliate at Inland Empire pretty much every year now, dating back to 2011. And at the start of that range in 2011, you had like Randall Gridchuk and C.J. Crone. So there were some guys there, but by 2013, it was dead. I mean, the, those Inland Empire <laughs> teams at High A from 2013 to 2016 or so were just lacking in talent in almost every every avenue imaginable. Uh, then you started to see it get a little bit better last year, but this year, I mean, it's just night and day, and it's been really interesting to see that talent differential. And you fast forward two years and might look that way in the majors. Jo Joe Adele, you mentioned, was one of these guys that was drafted off his supreme, supreme athleticism. First round pick last year, number 10 overall. And at the time, he had struggled a little bit on the showcase circuit to hit. He really stepped up his senior year, but he wasn't playing the greatest high school competition. So not all teams were really convicted on his ability to hit. Well, not only does he go out and rake right away after he signs and gets onto the BA Top 100, his first full season, he climbs to double A, a year removed from high school, hits, hits for power, shows speed. So there was both athleticism as well as a maturity and a polish in his approach is at bats I mean this is a consensus top 20 prospect in baseball now just in your discussions with people within the system and outside the system 
what types of things were they saying about Joe Adele and, and what he can be to the Angels franchise? I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I think the biggest reason for his step, a huge step forward this year, uh, was mixing that approach and the mental aspect of the game and that maturity uh, with the tool set that was already there. I mean, every coach and scout I talked to, and I'm sure you're hearing the same, raved this season about his uh, ability to make adjustments at the plate, his uh, at a, uh, sort of his, uh, just his ability to take coaching uh, and, and to put things that coaches are, are telling him into, into play, his uh, preparation from a scouting standpoint, starting to learn how pitchers are going to approach him. And this is a 19-year-old playing a double-A, and his numbers were pretty good across the board this season. Uh, you know, that's a pretty big step. That's a pretty, you know, no matter how good a prospect you are, unless maybe you're Mike Trout, you're not going to go to double-A as a 19-year-old and compete and hang with that group uh, as well as a guy like Joe Adele did. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, his approach and, and some of those uh, – you know, mental uh, abilities catching up pretty quickly with his uh, physical ones. And I think, you know, this is a guy who when they drafted him, you know, Swanson said he, he thinks they drafted a potential franchise player. Now, that's a pretty lofty uh, expectation to put on a kid. You know, when I think of franchise players, I, you, you think of a guy like Mike Trout, Albert Pujols in his prime. I don't know that it'll get to that level, but I thought, you know, looking at this kid last year, you know, looking at the timeline, looking at the ability that maybe he would be the guy who would replace Trout if Trout leaves as a free agent after 2020. But I, I think at this point, there's no reason to think he can't be playing alongside Trout uh, in the year 2020. Absolutely. And there is some swing and miss there. And I talked to him a little bit this summer. And look, he very much has a do damage approach. I want to, he's going to go out there and swing hard, but it's not undisciplined. One of the things that really stood out to me, he talked about, he keeps a notebook of every pitcher he faces, writing down what they did to him, what he saw, so he can have a little bit of a, of a better base of expectations the next time he goes up to face that pitcher. Uh, when I came back from seeing him in Inland Empire this year, uh, I did two things. The first thing I did was the first game I watched him, I sent, uh, we have a Slack message out amongst our group at BA. Couple at bats in, I slacked our guys, um, guys, Jolie, Joe Adele is wholly expletive good. This guy is really, really, really good, and it didn't take very long to see. And then as I talked to him more and got to know him, as you alluded to at the maturity, the best way I can describe it is nothing about him is 19. His physicality, his skills, just his mental approach, just a great guy all around, you know, he gets it in every aspect. And I think for me, you know, I, I, it didn't take long to see what Matt Swanson was alluding to with this as a potential franchise player. And not just what he can do on the field. This is the type of guy that is, fans are going to love, the way he interacts with them, signing autographs, you know, face on the billboard. It's a lot of expectations to put on a kid. But I think he's one of the few teenagers in the world where you see both the physical ability and the personality to potentially handle that. It's funny, as you're saying all this, uh, I... Um, um, you couldn't have described Mike Trout better to a T from the time he was drafted, signed, came up to his first big league camp, you know, had his first big league call up at 19. Uh, the humility combined with maturity and uh, physical ability 
it's a rare combination. And once again, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, label this kid as the next Mike Trout, but he, he appears to have the, the all-around ability to be an impact player in the big leagues and to get that in the draft and to have that kind of player uh, in your system uh, for, you know, guaranteed six years in the big leagues at a reasonable price. It's just there's such a value to that right now, and there always has been in the big leagues because, you know, Mike Trout now obviously is one of the highest-paid players in the game, but for, for three or four years you had a guy of that talent at a really reasonable you know, salary, it allowed, it allows teams to spread resources elsewhere and it keeps that sort of the, the uh, talent funneling through the system. You know, it gives prospects, uh, you know, gives them the hope that, you know, they can follow in their, their footsteps. So, you know, Joe has a great role model in front of him, Mike Trout. I'm pretty sure he'll be in his first big league camp here. In, in short time, and, and we'll have a guy like Trout to, to sort of mentor him. So it's a great guy to have around and uh, a great, uh, you know, example to follow. So I agree with you. You know, he, he has a real chance to be a, a star in this game, and the Angels are lucky to have him at this point. Absolutely. I, I don't want to throw Mike Trout on, on anybody because Mike Trout is the greatest player we have seen since Mickey Mantle or you know Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle-esque. So I, I don't want to put that on Adele. Um, and I, I, as much as I respect the kid's talent, I don't think it's fair to put that on anyone. But, but you're right, you know, that perennial all-star, middle-of-the-order outfielder, um, whether that's Vernon Wells, Justin Upton, Torrey Hunter, there, there's different versions of that comp that people have thrown on him. Um, you know, I, I do think you know might ultimately be more corner outfield, but he can play center. So we'll see how everything develops. But but either way, the Angels have a very very special talent in Joe Adele. He was the easy number pick for number one in this system. Once you got to number two, there were a couple of other of other guys. Uh, Jemai Jones has held that spot in the past. Brandon Marsh and, and Griffin Canning uh, both you know had had successful seasons. Mm-hmm. Marsh's Overall numbers at high A don't look great, but if you throw out a two-week adjustment period to begin it, it's actually pretty respectable numbers. How many guys would you say were really in the mix for that number two spot? Um, yeah, I think I, I think Canning for me was a, 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 an easier number two just because he's so close to the big leagues, and uh, you know, it, I think the final polish will come here. I think we're going to see him in Anaheim. Uh, at some point this year. Uh, so to me, uh, he jumped up there, and that was sort of combined with the fact that, you know, Jones really struggled uh, at the plate for, for a lot of the year uh, while, you know, adjusting to a, a really radical position switch from, from the outfield to second base. And, and I do think toward the end of the year, he started uh, hitting better in a nice fall league as well. So I think you'll see a bounce back year from from Jam and Marsh. Uh, Marsh is a real interesting guy for me because you know you hear scouts talk about his defense, like he, he could play in the big leagues right now. You know they say he's a better defender than Joe Adele, has a has a better arm, more accurate, better speed in the outfield, more instincts, uh, runs better routes, and that's all great. But until the bat starts to catch up with that, you know he's still pretty raw for me. So. I sort of went with the, the guy with a little more polish, a little closer to the big leagues and canning, and 
you know, I look at Griffin's repertoire and, and a lot of people throw out that Trevor Bauer comp and there are worse guys to be compared to. Uh, but physically, uh, you know, he's still growing into his body a bit, but he's throwing in the mid nineties with three secondary pitches that are all, you know, considered above average. So, uh, once again, uh, you just cannot, <laughs> cannot stress the importance of a really good young pitching, uh, to have at, at your ready, uh, on the big league level. And he's going to help pretty soon. Uh, when you look at the history of injuries in the Angels rotation, uh, you can, it's a pretty safe bet that he'll be in Anaheim at some point pretty soon. Especially you mentioned Garrett Richards, who wasn't going to be part of the equation anyway, having Tommy John, but he leaves as a free agent. Matt Shoemaker was non-tendered. Canning, again, was another guy I saw at Inland Empire, uh, the, the opener for the season. And, you know, in college it was 90-94. Um, they sat him out at the end of last season. Uh, really worked on his core strength, and he comes back, and I didn't see a fastball slower than 93. He touched 98. He sat four to six. Uh, and speaking with uh, evaluators, he was able to hold it most of the year. There was a start or two where it was down a tick or two, but uh, for the most part, even as he bounded all the way up from high to double A to triple A in his first professional season, the stuff stayed plus curveball, sliders above average, and the changeup. It's interesting because he didn't use it a whole lot, and he kind of tinkered with different grips, but by the end of the season, he found one and started throwing it better. All of a sudden, you're talking about two pluses, and above average, another pitch that's on the come and getting better with fearlessness, competitiveness. It checks a lot of boxes, and you mentioned the Angels needing young pitching. As you know, Mike, they didn't have young pitching to go down and get for years and years and years. You saw them bargain binning, you know, Tim Lincecum's of the world. We all remember Matt Palmer. I mean, finding, you know, these guys who were older off the scrap heap, and if they worked, great. If not, you know, they didn't have anything else to go to. We saw last year they were able to dip down and go get Jaime Berea. Now this coming year, potentially Canning and Suarez, I do feel like the Angels for the first time almost this decade have a reserve of young quality arms they can go down and get. Yeah, that's uh, one thing to keep in mind with uh, Canning specifically. Uh, you might see a Walker Bueller situation arise with him. You know, they did slow play him that first year. He didn't pitch at all right after his draft for good reason. You know, he'd come into the draft with some medical issues, and uh, you know, he threw a, had a pretty heavy workload his last year at UCLA. So they, you know, they monitor his innings and, and all that. I'd be surprised if they pushed him anything beyond 150 innings this year. So it'll be interesting with him to see how they sort of uh, play him early in the season, see if they try to, you know, schedule in some uh, two-week breaks for him just uh, so they can have him in the second half at the big league level if needed. Uh, so that's that's a really important thing for him. And you mentioned Suarez. Uh, you know, he's an interesting guy just because you look at the body and, uh, you know, he's certainly he was about 5'10", 180 or something. And I think that's he's generous. Not, I think it might be more 5'9", yeah. 210. He's, he's plump, but the stuff is real. <laughs> yeah, so it's really interesting to see a guy like that uh, and to see him pitch the way he does, you know, low to mid-90s uh, pretty consistently. And he has a really good changeup. So when you're throwing that kind of velocity from the left side with a good changeup, it's just something you don't see all that often. So he could be a factor. Uh, you know, Jaime Berea, uh, you know, Felix Pena came out of nowhere last year, another pretty good young arm. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I think it does look like they at least have 
some reinforcements uh, uh, who could be ready this year when called upon. Uh, and really, when you look at it, you know, Andrew Heaney, Tyler Skaggs, uh, they still have some pretty good young pitchers uh, who, who need to stay healthy for this team to compete at the big league level. So, uh, but definitely depth is uh, looking a lot better uh, along those lines. You mentioned Marsh and Suarez. Uh, Marsh, obviously, uh, you know, he's still, you know, in his early 20s, going to jump up to Double A next year. Uh, the bat has some questions, but it's a great athlete. Suarez, you hit on, is, is another lefty who at 20 years old rose three levels all the way to AAA and really held his own up there. Those four, I think, were pretty can clearly the top four. You move into that next tier. Um, Jemai Jones, Luis Rengifo, Matt Theis, all very different players with, with different pedigrees and different histories. What at the end of the day had Jam still kind of that number five spot when you have Renhifo who, you know, on paper performed better, Thais who got to triple A, showed a little more power. Uh, what were some of the things you heard about Jemai Jones that, that still gave confidence he should be in this spot despite a down season? Certainly the the instructors and the angel system, the guys who work with him every day are still very high on him. They love his work ethic. They love the, his willingness to switch positions. And, and, you know, Mike Gallegos said he thought he could make the switch after hitting him like one ground ball uh, last spring. You know, he's uh, he played a little infield in high school, but it's uh, obviously a lot different at this level. Uh, he, he, you know, he struggled with uh, certain plays, uh, still needs some work in the pivot. Uh, but they saw the progress throughout the year, and I think, you kind of have to give him a little bit of a pass uh, offensively. You know, his numbers across the board really took a dip this year, but, you know, he put a lot of focus and a lot of energy on his defense, and I think by the end of the season, uh, most scouts thought uh, he'd at least be serviceable at second base, and he's still only a double A, so he's got room to grow. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see if he has a really, if he has a really strong bounce back year at second, I mean, uh, with the bat this year, I think him and Ringifo are sort of really on a on a maybe a collision course to compete for that second base job at the big league level in uh, 2020. Uh, and you mentioned Ringifo, really. I'm not sure there's a guy who took a bigger leap forward uh, in the system this year. Uh, a guy they traded uh, for for CJ Crone in last spring. Uh, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he wasn't even in the, the race top 30. Uh, if, uh, my memory serves. And, no, that's uh, correct. He was he was not yeah. on anyone's radar like this. Yeah. So uh, switch hitter with some really good bat to ball skills. I mean, they still think Tice has the best plate discipline in the system, but this guy is probably a very very close second. You know, his walk his walks are almost I think they're equal with his strikeouts. He really knows how to work in that bat and from both sides of the plate. His defense from uh, you know both middle infield positions is solid, uh, decent speed. You know, not a burner, but certainly uh, maybe average to above average. So uh, you know, if if you can hit three somewhere around three hundred and get on base somewhere near four hundred, they're going to find a place for you in the lineup. So at the very least, uh, I think he'll be a, a really solid big league utility player. Uh, if Jones ends up maybe being the second baseman of the future, but uh, and they got a pretty good player uh, for a player to be named later 
he is a, a pretty good talent. And I think you mentioned uh, Tice. I think he hit, hit that one accurately. His power really took a leap forward this year. I know he made some adjustments uh, with his swing, trying to get a little more uh, leverage and, and a little more lift. And I know that can be a dangerous thing sometimes for a young hitter, but he's uh, on base and his uh, plate discipline didn't seem to suffer uh, while his homers on, almost doubled this year. And I think defensively, his you know, he moved to first base right after being drafted, and I think he's made so much progress there that uh, they think of him now as a, a pretty decent uh, defender. So, uh, obviously, the big thing with him is, is what's in front of him. You know, Albert Poole still has three years left in that contract, so, uh, but he also struggles to stay healthy. So, you know, with a guy like Tice, I can certainly see him in the big leagues at some point this year. At the very least, maybe some kind of. Uh, uh, platoon role at first base. Uh, you know, it's t- going to be tough to get DH at bats with uh, Otani. You know, pretty much locked into that spot all season. So his future really could hinge on Albert Pujols' health. And if we know anything about Albert's health, there's going to be a pretty good chance there's going to be a need for another first baseman at some point. So uh, I think he's, uh, I think he's on the cusp for sure. Yeah, you know, Thice is someone that uh, pretty consistently now for a couple of years, um, people have seen a big leaguer with him. It's just very much a, eh, he's okay. Kind of that, you know, yeah. second division, you know, hold, you know, decent average, get on base, maybe some, some home runs, but nothing that is an, oh my gosh, we have to keep this guy. But uh, you're right, I do expect him to get a chance this year. And, and going back to Ren Kifo, one of the... Uh, Best quotes I got all year was uh, someone in the Angels' front office likened what happened with Rengifo to finding gold. Even the Angels did not expect this, you know? I mean, they saw a guy who switch hitter, you know, middle infielder, started to show a little bit of pop last year in low A, but no one saw this. Um, This was was a breakout year. You're right, that collision course with him and Jones will be interesting. Um, One of the things I noticed about Jamai, I went in in April and saw him. Then I saw him again in June, and he had a, a completely different setup in terms of his bat placement, just where he was placing it. Then I went again and saw him in October in the Fall League, and he was placing it yet somewhere else. So three different months, you see three <laughs> different kind of setups. And that last month, it was actually early November, excuse me, in the Fall League, that was the best he looked in terms of getting the bat through the zone, driving the ball. So. You hope that maybe he figured something out in November and got back to what he looked like last year, which was this explosive, high-contact, gap-to-gap, you know, line it in there and race around the bases. I do expect that when all's said and done, um, you know, Jemai will be better than what he showed last year, but, you know, it has to happen. Uh, we established these were pretty much the 5, 6, 7, uh, or, and into that 8, 9 range. The one guy in the top 10 who maybe was a little unconventional uh, was Ty Buttry. You don't normally see 26-year-old relievers in the top 10 of a, of a solid system, uh, but Buttry came up and, and really showed some explosive stuff, kind of a late bloomer type. What did you see from him, and what were some of your discussions surrounding him that you know ended up getting him into the top 10 of this system? Yeah, he was a tough one because you're right. At, at his age, you don't necessarily think of him uh, so much as a quote-unquote prospect. But he did fit the criteria in terms of not having pitched, uh, you know, enough big league innings to to qualify to 
you know, not make the prospect handbook. And what I saw was a, a guy who at times was dominant against big league competition. And I, I just don't think you can discount that. You know, guys have ceilings, guys have potential. And I've seen plenty of guys come up to the big leagues with all those things and not perform. Uh, you know, he was touching a hundred at times with fastball and he was consistently 97, 98. He came into the system and, and left the Red Sox system with some pretty big questions about his command, but his numbers and, and his, to me, his uh, control was really good. Uh, he's got a really uh, sharp slider that uh, can induce some ground balls and, and he really started to throw this changeup uh, that really kind of looked more like a split fingered fastball. Uh, so, you know, when you have big league, you know, successful big leaguers kind of raving about your stuff, to me that says something. And uh, uh, I just think those kinds of power arms don't come around too often. A big guy kind of, you know, physically imposing on the mound. And, you know, he's had a pretty decent health record. So I, I do think he's going to be a guy who will enter spring training as uh uh, an arm that has a pretty good chance of being one of their back end uh, relievers. You know, to me, he jumped way ahead of Cam Bedrosian. Uh They let Blake Parker go, so there's going to be a need for uh, for at the very least a setup guy. You know, and, and they don't really have a closer with uh, Keegan Middleton still hurt. So uh, you know, he could enter next season as their closer, and to me, <laughs> that warrants a top ten prospect uh, in my mind. No, I think that's fair. You mentioned, you know, it's real, real stuff. Sit 96, 97, touch, you know, 100. Uh, and what one of the things that I thought was interesting was his slider. You mentioned that sharp slider. That was considered, you know, his third pitch, not the best offering in the world, kind of as he was coming up as a prospect. We got to the majors and clearly something clicked there. It was a swing and miss pitch. It was an effective outing. So now you're talking about 96 to 100 with an out pitch slider. You know, physical. That that's a development. Um, you mentioned the control hadn't been great in his past, but he's an ex-starter, moved to relief, and and kind of figured it out there. Uh, again, I, I think that there are some interesting guys in the system. But you're right. You know, ceiling potential. At the end of the day, a guy who has a chance to be closing, you know, big league games probably here in the next year or so. It it, it is a fair warranting. Uh, overall, we had this top ten. How many guys would you say were slam dunks to be in the top 10, and how many spots were kind of you know, up for debate as you were going through this process? Um, certainly uh, Adele and Canning, Marsh, so that's three. Um, four is four. You know, Jim, because of his year, could have slipped out. Uh, when Defo, you know, a lot of guys have him as a, as a utility guy. I guess he could have slipped out. Uh, but I think, you know, Jordan Adams, another guy this year's draft, is just so so raw and so fresh, you know. I guess he can't be really considered a slam dunk at this point. Uh, I, I guess four or five, and I guess Tice, just because of his polish and, and his success and, and as close as he is to the big leagues, to be would be a slam dunk. Uh, I think, you know, the the overall importance, I think, here to note is, uh, you know, this system has really improved over the last couple of years. I, I think they were dead last in your rankings 
uh, not two, too long ago, you know, three, two years ago. ago. And now, uh, you know, they're pretty much in the middle of, middle to upper middle of the pack in baseball American and other people's rankings. And, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned, uh, butchery and you have to give, uh, some credit to Billy Epler and some of his, uh, evaluators, you know, they, they traded two guys and, uh, Ian Kinsler and Martin Maldonado who are going to be free agents. You got Ty Butchery and Williams Drez, who is also in the top 30, a uh, pretty, pretty uh, high potential left handed arm uh, out of the bullpen. And Patrick Sandoval from the Astros, uh, who I had, uh, I think, in the middle of my top 30, who could be, uh, you know, a back end uh, rotation starter, maybe a, a multi inning left handed reliever, who also had a really good year. So, you know, you, you're talking about getting three prospects who could make the big leagues here in the next two years uh for three guys who you know were in their walk years on a team that was out of, out of contention so you know kudos to the angels for for making those kinds of deals and uh, you know we end, may end up seeing martin molino martin molino back in an angels uniform here uh, in free agency so that those are the kind of deals you need to make at certain times they're they're tough sometimes from a fan perspective when you do raise that white flag, but I think they were smart to make them and, and get the guys they got because uh, some of these guys are going to have some impact uh, moving forward. Absolutely, and, and without giving too much away, another thing that jumped out to me just when you look at the Angels' top 30 is they've hit on some really interesting late-round guys um, in the sense, you know, Jeremy Beasley was a 30th rounder, senior sign, and he really opened some eyes this year, climbed up to double-A in his first full year and was very successful. Jose Rojas, a 36th rounder from Vanguard just down the street from Angel Stadium, really uh, did some good things this year getting up to AAA. Jack Kruger, catcher, was a 20th rounder. It's interesting because we talk about the Angels finding that athleticism early in the draft, but you mentioned it goes beyond just hitting, okay, we hit on this first-round pick and that first-round pick. While that goes a long way, making those trades to find you know, quality big leaguers and then on top of that hitting on those late-round picks it's not just a system, I feel like, at least that's, you know, super top-heavy and then there's this massive drop-off. I think you could go 20, 23, 24 deep in this system and find guys who, who have something you could say, this is a guy I can see contributing. Now, obviously, not all of them will when all said and done, but there's legitimate talent here down into the 20s in this system, which, again, I don't think is something that has been true of any Angel system since about... 2011, 2012, 2013 at the absolute, you know, earliest. Yeah, I think the uh, the one guy that sort of jumps out to me when, as you're saying this, and it sort of speaks to the progress of the system is Leonardo Rivas, a pretty good middle infielder in the lower levels. I think I had him at like uh, 11 or 12 or 13 last year, and he dropped to the back end of the top 30. And I asked uh, Mike, I think it was uh, Chad Tracy or Gallego, I said, man, did this guy really struggle with him? I said, no, he actually had a pretty good year. I just think the system's that much better, and we have players who jumped ahead of him a little bit. So uh, that speaks uh, to the strength of the system overall. And I think the other thing uh, we're seeing is when they finally got out from the, the restrictions caused by that Roberto Baldacchini signing, They've started to spend some more money in, in Latin America. Uh, and, and, you know, signed these two kids in the Bahamas, Deshaun Knowles and Trent DeVoe. And, and 
guys are really raving about Knowles, uh, who, who jumped ahead of DeVoe this year and has a really uh, athletic, physical uh, specimen in center. Uh, and, you know, Adrian Almeida, guys like that, uh, Orlando Martinez from the Dominican, uh, I believe. You know, there's just some, I don't know if any of these guys are going to pan out, you know, to be superstars, but, or even big leaguers, but, you know, they didn't, uh, they weren't signing these kinds <laughs> of guys for a good solid two or three years. So I think that has added some depth to the system as well. Absolutely. It's definitely uh, been an interesting uh, last two, three years in terms of the Angels bringing more talent in. We'll see if it pays off in the big leagues here uh, before Mike Trout's contract runs out. <laughs> no, that's the timeline. Uh, Angels fans are, are nervously uh, tapping their fingers over. But uh, Mike, thank you so much again uh, for, uh, for all your hard work and jumping on the podcast with me. It was a pleasure, Kyle. All right, folks, that'll do it for this uh, Baseball America Prospects podcast. For Mike D. Giovanna, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening.